G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, or welcome back to the Footyology Podcast, all new for 2022, a happy new year to everyone, the year of Richie Benno, we should call it, 22. Uh, we've had a couple of weeks off, but we're back and ready to go, as I say, very good morning to my Footyology co-host mark fine happy new year to you finey how are you going yeah well there's been a bit of COVID in the family but we've come through the other side so all's well uh who's had COVID? can we ask yeah my mum 93 years of age cool that's not good she all right now she's fine and really didn't suffer too much a couple of days of sort of cold like symptoms but okay Mm. fighting fit again and my eldest child has just finished her period of apparently COVID she tested positive but there wasn't a heck of a lot of symptoms there either so pretty fortunate yeah it's been uh, I think most of us have gone from not necessarily having been touched by it to all knowing, you know, several people who've had it um, and, you know, massive spike in cases. In fact, as we speak today, I think the case numbers in Victoria today up around 35,000. And, uh, boy, you're seeing some ramifications of it around the streets and shopping centres of Melbourne. It's almost like a de facto lockdown. Anyway, we, we all know where this is at and we don't want to dwell on the uh, the unhappiness of COVID because I think we've all more than had enough. So we've got plenty to talk about on this show, plenty of footy to talk about. Of course, AFLW underway with round one last weekend. So we'll wrap that up. Uh, we've got life hacks for you. We've got, uh, we are down to number 11 now in our countdown of our top 20 favourite movies and music. And of course, Another fantastic footy flashback. So without any further ado, let's get stuck straight in. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Let's talk news. AFLW underway and uh, a dramatic start to the season, an unfortunate start to the season with some really serious injuries. Um bit of a tragedy to be honest too in particular Collingwood co-captain and uh, last year's joint AFLW best and fairest winner Bree Davey out for the season already with a ruptured ACL Um, some pictures of a very distressed Davey being helped from the ground during Collingwood's game against Carlton at the weekend and uh, the other one and boy um is this poor girl due a change of fortune? Isabel Huntington for the Western Bulldogs uh, confirmed yesterday she has ruptured an ACL for the third time. She did it first as a junior, uh, did it a second time. And I remember watching the game in which she did it in uh, round two of 2018. And uh, here we are a few years further down the track. She's done it again. Very innocuous um, looking incident too, really under not much uh, pressure at all, just buckled, gave way, and uh, you could see the look of resignation on her face straight away. Uh, They weren't the only injuries out of the weekend. We had uh, Brisbane defender Kate Watkins. Um, uh, We don't think that one's the full catastrophe, but uh, she had an injury to deal with. And uh, Dakota Davidson, Watkins' premiership teammate, Uh, ankle injury there and of course COVID um, having taken a toll on some stars already too. North Melbourne's 
All-Australian star Emma Carney um, out of the first game after having contracted COVID. So a bit of a tale of woe finding him a start to the new AFLW season. Yeah, well, there's going to already been, there has been already a, a real strain on lists and that has prompted a sort of extra number, I think 10 train-on players that clubs have access to, so guaranteeing that teams will be able to take the field. But it is the elephant in the corner of the room, and I think the elephant's moving out of the corner and taking centre stage, and that is the number of serious injuries being suffered by women playing, not only AFLW, but Australian rules football. And the truth is, and the fact is, that women are structurally different to men, and they go as hard or sometimes harder, honestly, that the sort of danger levels that these players are willing to put themselves in is sometimes scary, isn't it? Their attack on the ball is absolutely ferocious. There is a lot of sort of static ball that demands players diving in on top of it. And it seems as though their bodies in some cases, in many cases, are not standing up to it multiple ACL injuries have blighted, not the careers, because these girls keep coming back, but certainly at this, the AFLW landscape since its be very beginning, there have been an inordinate, an inordinate number of serious injuries, especially knee injuries, Robert. Well, on that subject, um, it, it is a bit of a, I wouldn't say it's even an elephant in the room because I think we are discussing it pretty openly, but uh, I, I saw a story off the back of this talking to Dr. Peter Larkins um, and he says the rate of ACL injuries in women's sport generally is about five to six times the rate of uh, ACLs in male sport. Yep. Um and uh, there's a suggestion, not only structural differences, but hormonal differences as well can actually play a part. So um, that's very interesting. I'd like to see the science behind that, but uh, not just uh, women's sport generally. In AFLW, the rate of serious knee injuries has been 10 times what it's been in the men's code. So 10 times, that is really cause for concern. I don't know if um, maybe women playing at the elite level of the game now have to learn how to fall better or, or I, I'm not sure if it's necessarily anything about technique, but um, it's a dramatic toll. And, uh, boy, if we're going to continue to be robbed of some of the best players um, on cue each season, uh, that is a real concern. So um, a worrying start to the season from that point of view. And obviously it's a much shorter season than the men's, but uh, the attrition rate, uh, almost uh, a blessing in disguise that it is. Uh, we should talk about the games though, because seven games to kick off the season. Uh, started on Friday night with Richmond taking on St Kilda and uh, Tigers did a bit of a number on the Saints, Finey. 10 goals, 161, defeating St Kilda, 3-5, 23. Richmond were interesting last year. Didn't get many wins up, but uh, really started to click towards the end of the season and uh, could be uh, certainly a team to watch this year. Monique Conti, obviously a star, and she was terrific for the Tigers. Shared the goals around two, couple each to Katie Brennan, Courtney Wakefield, Christina Bonani, Megan Kiley. So uh, keep your eye on the Tigers this year, finding and a really tough start in the coaching caper for uh, our old media mate, Nick Del Santo. Tough evening for Dow. Yeah, from St Kilda's perspective, look, they're going to struggle this season. They're two best players from last year. Remember, they only won three games last year. Um, Patrikios is not playing because she has chosen, as is her right, to not be vaccinated and that means that she under the AFL and AFLW rules cannot be part of the competition and Tony Smith who was a revelation in her first season last year has done the dreaded ACL in pre-season added to that they had a number of senior players out with COVID either either with having contracted COVID or having to isolate because of a housemate with COVID 
and that left St Kilda pretty bare in the cupboard. But Richmond were very impressive. And you know what? That young player, Conti, I, I don't know whether there is much movement in betting on the AFLW's Player of the Year. But boy, she is a standout. And I think Richmond are an improving team who will win games. But I doubt that she'll be off the best players list for the entire season as long as she's playing because she is a ball magnet and courageous and a great tackle. Everything you want in a footballer. Yep, she's a, a star and has been uh, the entire uh, existence of the AFLW. Certainly a star in the Western Bulldogs. Uh, premiership team a few years back before she transferred. Speaking of the Bulldogs, uh, they had an entertaining joust with Melbourne, who uh, were certainly one of the better sides last year. The Demons, pretty comfortable winners in the end, though. 6-10-46, defeating the Doggies 3-4-22. Karen Paxman, uh, quite of unusual, but um, they've got plenty of good players to go around Melbourne. Eden Zanker was terrific. For them, Ellie Blackburn, uh, the Bulldogs' tireless skipper. She was terrific for the Doggies with 21 touches. Uh, But as we told you earlier, Isabel Huntington, the headline out of that uh, game, unfortunately going down with an uh, ACL, and she will be out for the rest of the season. Uh, We had the derby going on in Perth. Oh, sorry, derby uh, for Western (laughs) Australian fans. I keep falling victim to that. Uh, Very comfortable win to Fremantle. Again, another of the the really good sides in AFLW. 6-7-43, defeating West Coast 2-3-15. Some reasonably promising signs, though, for the Eagles, who were able to stay in touch for a majority of the game, but certainly you think the Dockers are very much going to be contenders again this season. Finally, I guess um, the biggest game, probably uh, a rematch of last year's grand final at the same venue, Adelaide Oval, but this time a very different result. Adelaide, you won't say avenging their grand final loss to the Lions because you can't do that, but they certainly had a convincing 30-point win, six goals, three, 39 defeating Brisbane 1-3-9. Some uh, real stars of the game running around for the Crows. And Hatchard was terrific for them with 26 touches. Ash Woodland, uh, four goals from just five kicks. And Ebony Marinoff, certainly an absolute star in AFLW, ranks 23 disposals. Uh, first time, finally, Brisbane have lost in round one, uh, obviously early days this season, but uh, they'd want to play a lot better than that if they are to be a chance of uh, defending their AFLW title. Yeah, as you mentioned, when we went through the injuries, they did cop a couple of injuries. So it just was a, a afternoon to forget for the Brisbane Lions AFLW side. But I'll say this, having watched those three games, I think Melbourne can do the double here. I really do. I, I mean, as you said, Paxman wasn't at her best, certainly Pierce not at her best, but their ability to control the ball, use the ball and play the game on their own terms in the last quarter at the Western Oval really impressed me. And we know that the AFL team broke that long drought. Well, it's not a case of a long drought for the Melbourne girls. It's a case of getting on the board, and I really think they're a chance. I, 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 from what I've seen, and it's only a small sample, Rowan, they're my tip. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, plenty of... I mean, they weren't far off last year, were they? They got fixed up by Adelaide in the uh, preliminary final, but certainly one of the power teams uh, for a few years now. So I uh, tend to agree with you. Lily Mithin, another great player for the yeah, Demons. Yeah, she played very well. So uh, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on them. Uh, back in Melbourne, we had the uh, clash of traditional rivals, Collingwood-Carlton and uh, Collingwood powering away from the Blues in the finish, 6-8-44, defeating Carlton, 3-7-25. And again, unfortunately, um, bad news for the Pies, even after a good victory with the loss of Bree Davey and uh, she's a cornerstone of that team, so we'll take some replacing. But they do have plenty of other prolific ball winners. Uh, Jamie Lambert 
22 disposals for the Pies on the weekend. Co-captain Steph Chiocci had uh, 15 touches to the Pies, so uh, they're very strong. Midfield, Carlton, well, uh, they're in the grand final. When was that? 2019 against Adelaide, but... uh, Last couple of seasons, been a bit of a struggle for the Blues, finally. And um, as our man Gil Griffin on Footyology observed, just as well, Carlton coach Daniel Harford has already balled because he uh, might have got a long way to losing what remaining here he has. His team made some shocking uh, errors, uh, gifted a couple of 50-metre penalties, um, kicking out of bounds on the full, uh, cost them. Those mistakes cost them several goals and they're going to have to get a lot better if they are going to be a player in season 2022, Finey. Yeah, they seem to have sort of been treading water since surprisingly making the grand final in 2019. And that seemed to be the opportunity to springboard into a really successful period. Uh, Obviously no grand final in 2020, but they weren't really in the reckoning and a poor start to the season this year. Have they got much to call on? I heard Daniel Harford speaking actually on 3AW prior to the game, saying that they had managed to avoid losing players to COVID for round one. And he was confident given the strength of the side that was being put on the field. So that's a bit of a worry that he felt that it was a pretty full strength unit taking on Colin. And round one wrapped up with a game between GWS and Gold Coast. Of course, the Suns winless last season and uh, GWS 15-point victors in the end, 5-6-36 to Gold Coast 3-3-21. I guess you could say usual suspects leading the way. Captain Alicia Reva, what a star she is, evergreen uh, star of the women's game. And Alice Parker, 22 and 21 disposals respectively for the Giants and uh, did what they had to. Irish woman Cora Staunton, um, a bit of a favourite for the Giants, and uh, she kicked a couple of crucial goals to the Giants as they pulled away from the Sun. So one round in, um, I wouldn't say any great surprises among the winners and losers so far, but Certainly, uh, well, you're you're red hot on Melbourne. I think we all know they're going to be pretty good. Maybe keep your eye on Richmond. They could be a big improver this year. And uh, Actually, a bit of a tick to Geelong too. Cats only got their first win of last season in the very last game, but uh, they pushed north pretty hard in that game at Arden Street. I watched that one and uh, it was a much improved effort from the Cats. So keep your eye on them. That is round one of the AFLW season. A couple more things to uh, touch on before we get on with the rest of the show. And um, unfortunately, finding there are two well, very sad stories. Uh, firstly, concerning a certified legend of the game in Alex Jezelenko. What can you tell us about Jezza? Well, as per the Herald Suns, sadly, we confirm the story, or not confirm, but um, bring you the news that one of the all-time greats Alex Jezelenko, who is now 76 years of age, has contracted Parkinson's disease. Mm. Uh, Of course, we know that diseases relating, these degenerative diseases, such as motor neurone disease, et cetera, are debilitating. And and we just wish Alex all the best and hope that he um, has... Well, we know that he'll have all the best medical attention, but hopefully that he has a, a, a strong fight within him because it's very different and Parkinson affects people very differently. And we just hope that he can live with Parkinson's as some people have done for many years to come. Yeah, well, all the best to Jezza and uh, the whole Jezzelinko clan, a much-loved uh, part not only of the Carlton Football Club, but... The game as a whole, what an absolute superstar he was in the uh, 60s and the 70s. Finally, of course, responsible for some of the most famous moments in the game's history. And unfortunately, we've got to finish off this new segment with, uh, well, a, a tragedy. It is no other way of describing it. And that is the passing of former Fremantle player Harley Balich. Um at the age of just 25, um, and Harley played four games for the Dockers, debuting 
in um, 2017, um, part of a draft group which included the likes of Essendon's Darcy Parrish and um, held in, in very high regard, but just didn't pan out for him. He certainly had some mental health issues along the journey, was traded to Melbourne for the 2018 season, but um, gave AFL football away at the end of that year. Played, did play some suburban footy, but um, tragically, uh, Harley has um, appeared to have taken his own life. And, uh, well, what can you say, Fanny? Um If you have troubles, you've got to reach out to people. We can give you the number for Lifeline here. It is 13111. One four, but uh, geez, just a, a tragic waste of human life and um, a football talent. So, our deepest condolences to Harley's friends and uh, family. And um, you don't see, you don't enjoy seeing anyone struggling with their mental health. So, uh, please check on your friends and family if uh, they're not going well. Um, yeah, it's just a, a shocking thing, isn't it? Unthinkable. Look, Harley Ballage was highly talented. He was, for much of his final year with the Sandringham Dragons, touted as a first-round pick. I think he had a serious lower leg injury that impacted on his final draft selection, which I believe was around, I think, 38. He was picked at by Fremantle, considered to be possibly a great value pick. Unfortunately, he found it very difficult away from home and thanked Fremantle for trading him back to Melbourne. But sadly, the problems that beset him as a footballer didn't end when he ended his AFL career. And as we said, and as you so eloquently put, if you have any issues, do reach out. You know what's unthinkable, Rowan, that in the last five years, I think even four years, Three Fremantle footballers have passed away. Uh, yeah, Colin Sylvia. Yep. Um, and oh, Shane Yaron. Yes, Shane Yaron. Yeah, that is that's gee, that is terrible, isn't it? Look, um, yeah, we we know that uh, mental health uh, issues in young men are, are particularly pronounced. Uh, so, well. Repeat again, don't hesitate to reach out for support. And uh, I'll read that lifeline number again, 13114. Sad way to finish our new segment this week. Uh, let's move on. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, vinyl and video time. We are counting down our favourite 20 movies and songs of all time. And uh, what an eclectic mix of tastes and styles we have seen in both these arenas, uh, Finey. Uh, I'd expect no less with your good self. I tend to be more of a uh, creature of habit, but I think I've mixed it up a little bit as well. Let's start with movies. And uh, I'm going to let you kickers off this week because uh, you have alluded to the fact that your number 11 favourite film of all time is arguably one of the most famous films of all time, certainly in the uh, last 50 or so years. What have you got for us? Your number 11 film, Finey? Well, I've got an Academy Award Best Picture winner. I've got an Academy Award Best Director winner. I've got an Academy Award Best Male Lead Winner. I've got an Academy Award Best Female Lead Winner. That's pretty strong going, isn't it? Wow, it, that's, uh, I'm, I'm tipping, uh, no, I'm not tipping. What is it? 1975, Milos Foreman directed adaptation of the Ken Kesey book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, and oh, yeah. uh, It is a classic. It's Jack Nicholson. Look, it. he was hardly a, a and sort of a newcomer to the screen and he'd already been nominated but this was his first Academy Award win and really sort of set the 
set, set in stone his greatness as an actor, playing Randall McMurphy, an inmate at a psychiatric hospital. And he was, like all inmates there, tormented by Louise Fletcher's magnificent nurse ratchet, really one of screen, one of, I think, the silver screen's great baddies. Might not have eaten anybody's spleen like Hannibal Lecter, but she was a baddie, believe you me. Well, if you're talking, yep. uh, if you're talking female baddies, the only one I'd have at an equivalent level, I think, is uh, Kathy Bates in yes. Mis Misery. <laughs> yeah, and I guess Kathy Bates was more physical if you sort of delve into the suitcase, if you know what I mean. But um, both of them were psychologically hor horrifying. Look, this movie, it shone a light, I, I believe it did. I, I understand on the institution around which it was centred, psychiatric hospitals, and in no small part, improved practices as psychiatric you know, institutions, especially around the United States, after this movie was screened, expected a more thorough look from the outside. Because once doors closed, who knew what went on? And mm. it was the rebellious nature of Randall McMurphy that landed him in the psychiatric hospital and it was that very nature that liberated if not himself other patients and famous famously the big chief near the end of the movie well I, I won't give it away but but he he offered inspiration through his lack of lack of um fear of authority and that gave a lot of his fellow inmates the power to be more themselves. Look, it's a great movie, brilliant acting, and quite uplifting. I love, um, I, I mean, the cast is terrific, but I particularly love um, uh, Brad Dourif, is it, as uh, Billy, the uh, the young punk Billy yep, Bibbit, yep. um, who uh, McMurphy's constantly on the back of. In fact, my favourite line out of the whole movie is, and uh, I've actually I've forgotten how it goes exactly, but the, the gist of it is, uh, McMurphy says to uh, Billy, what are you doing in here, Billy? You should be out there bird-dogging chicks and banging beaver. Um, and uh, I've never forgotten that line. Uh, <laughs> uh, a favourite. But, yeah, you're right. Fantastic film. Uh, gee, there can't be too many people listening to this podcast that haven't seen it. But if you haven't, uh, there's your homework because it is uh, certainly one of the uh, best known, I think. And... Uh, most highly regarded films of, uh, well, you know, certainly of the 1970s onwards. Good choice, Finey. I think uh, my choice is pretty good this week as well. And um, the first foreign language film that I've chosen in my list so far, and uh, I think by some, I oh know, I had Spotlight the other week, didn't I? Um, this is a comparatively recent film made in 2004 and uh, not only a very well one of the best known uh, foreign language films I think uh, around but uh, certainly uh, a popular film in terms of cultural referencing in fact no film has spawned more memes than this one do you know where I'm going with this Finey? Well I do because I think I was involved in one a little bit uh, through SEM Ah, correct, day. correct. I'm talking, of course, of the brilliant German uh, or co-production. I think uh, there's other countries involved too, but Downfall, um, the story of the final days of Adolf Hitler in the bunker in Berlin as um, defeat for the Third Reich draws ever closer. What a dark dark film it is as you'd expect given the subject matter but it's just so brilliantly done the uh the acting performance by uh well most of the actors in it but uh specifically bruno gantz the late bruno gantz passed away uh about three years ago now but what an incredible performance as adolf hitler just so um believable uh but just the sense of impending doom and and um 
I, I guess it, and it, it's it was a cause of some controversy, I guess, because of the extent to which it was seen to humanise Hitler. But I think uh, whilst it showed the more human elements of Hitler, it wasn't necessarily played in a sympathetic light. It was just that you know, uh, rather than just the, I guess the military stuff, you you were uh, you were seeing a, a person sort of contemplating their own mortality um and uh I, I guess you can't underestimate the cultural importance of this film in germany itself um where it did do really well it was a subject of controversy as you'd expect but i think by and large pretty well received but um you know it's it's interesting how germany treats um hitler in the second world war they are you know incredibly conscious of it um but there's almost a reluctance i think to visit it for those reasons and that's why it made it such a an important uh, historical document i think but just a, a brilliant um chronicle of of the last days of hitler uh, i think the research was very thorough of course told through um partly the recollections of hitler's private uh, secretary uh trudel junger uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. And I'll tell you what, Fanny, she um, just not all that long ago, I was watching the famous World at War series, um, documentary series, uh, which came out in the early 70s, narrated by Laurence Olivier. I remember when that was on as a kid, Channel 9 used to show it all the time. Do you remember that? I, I, I still watch those World at Wars on one of the Foxtel history channels, and they're very powerful. Well, she, uh, uh, Trudel Junger, um, is interviewed at length in uh, in that uh, documentary series. So it's just remarkable how you know we saw that series as kids, and uh, so many of the um, the key figures uh, out out of the Second World War were still alive then and, and interviewed for it. So remarkable stuff. Uh, check that out. But yeah, fantastic film. Um, Bruno Gantz. Uh, what can you say about that performance as Hitler? How this film, in fact, I didn't look up what did win it, but this didn't win Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars uh, for 2004. What did must have been pretty damn good because this is just such a fantastic film. Uh, it's it's bleak. It's uh, confronting. Um, you know, some incredibly distressing scenes towards the end and anyone who's familiar with, the final days in the bunker would know what I'm alluding to there. And it's not Adolf Hitler, it's other people. Um, but a great, great film, one of my favourites. And uh, no hesitation putting that number 11 on my all-time movie list. How do you rate it, Fanny? Well, you know, I wrote the uh, piece for Footyology, my 50 favourite films of all time, and it appears in that the greatest compliment you can pay to Bruno Gantz is you're not long into the movie where you really forget it's a movie with actors and you really feel as though you are watching Hitler in the final days of the Reich down in the bunker. Um, it, it's such a compelling performance and it shows Hitler at times being disarmingly charming and sensitive and and of course, all of this is far more realistic in making up the monster than just the normal view of the of the screaming, rabid megalomaniac. Because you don't have support and cohorts and a nation behind you if you are a one hundred percent permanent, you know, lunatic. He, this is a rounded believable Adolf Hitler, not likable, not understandable, not forgiven, but rounded. And that's what makes some, some in, in a way, what makes the monster all the more scary, doesn't it? Just uh, on the, uh, the cultural referencing too, and we're talking, of course, about the downfall parodies, uh, literally tens of thousands of which have bobbed up over the years, including, as you say, one involving your good self, um, I was reading last night that uh, at one stage the filmmakers or the I think the production company uh, had a lot of them taken down 
Um, and that merely spawned a whole lot more videos, uh, parody videos complaining about the parodies being taken down. So in the <laughs> end, in the end, they admitted defeat and uh, instead decided to monetize the parody videos with advertising. And the director of the film, uh, incidentally, Oliver Hirschbiegel, uh, was interviewed about the parodies and what it meant. And um, he was quite glowing about some of the uh, the parodies as well. So uh, he was certainly a good sport about it. Um, so there you go. Our two number 11 films, uh, I think it's fair to say, two of the more famous films in this list. Finey's gone with One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest from 1975. Downfall for me from 2004. All right, let's talk about our number 11 songs of all time you first finding okay i'm going back to 1977 motown the commodores but not the commodores as you would normally know them because this song brick house is not sung by lionel richie in fact the vocals are brought to you by the drummer walter clyde orange have a listen. House is a brick house. She's mighty, mighty. Just written it on hang out. She's a brick house. I like lady stack. That's a fact. Ain't holding nothing back. Uh, that's interesting, Finey. Uh, as you'd appreciate, not necessarily my cup of tea, but it has uh, two pretty indispensable parts of any uh, sort of 70s, 60s, 70s Motown music. That is uh, a pretty happening bass line, um, which I enjoyed, and, of course, the ever-present brass section. And uh, visually, uh, just having a look at the Commodore Circus 77, there are some serious afros and white suits going on there. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I can imagine you uh, uh, bopping around to that on the dance floor at Revolver at about 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning and you thinking you're pretty cool and in your element. Yeah, they weren't playing much Brick House, not too much Motown at that time of the day. I don't know what night you'd have to go to catch that. Then again, that might have changed. I'm now a long past veteran i'll say this that any song that has the line she's a mighty mighty wins my heart <laughs> it's just you know that the words were actually written by the wife of one of the band members she's a mighty mighty what a brick house is built like a brick you know what house yes okay. and that's how the words came to be yeah okay all right um uh, the the bass in that is is pretty good, uh, you know, without culturally stereotyping. There's some really, really good uh, bass players in that sort of genre of music. Uh, 1977. I must say, I hadn't heard it before. In fact, it made me realise, I think the only Commodore song I actually knew was uh, Once, Twice, Three Times a Lady. That was them, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. This is, that's not the Commodores I like. And uh, I can understand why Lionel Richie was excused from the vocals in this. This required something a little bit more gritty. Yeah, unfortunately, now that we've mentioned him, I'm going to have um, Hello uh, reverberating around my head uh, as it did for most of the 1980s, and that is not a good thing. But there you go. No, your finies number 11 is Brickhouse by the Commodores from 19. 77, I am going uh, not all that far back. Um, well, no, actually, it's a little way back now. I'm going back to, uh, in fact, I didn't check the year, but I'm pretty sure it's 1994. And it is from uh, one of the uh, leading lights of the grunge movement, finally, the mighty Soundgarden uh, native of Seattle. It is the opening track of their masterpiece, the Super Unknown album, and it is called Let Me Drown. And this packs an absolute wallop. Let's have a listen. Let 
I've got to say, listening to this, Rowan, I'm surprised that this is not your number one. This has got you written all over it. And I've got to say, by osmosis, I actually quite enjoyed it. Maybe you've conditioned me to some of this heavier grunge music, this sort of, um, they, these really sort of deeper, deeper, more um, sort of guttural almost, I feel, musical sounds. It's not, it's no dance track. It's no, it's nothing for the kid's birthday party, but it's a big, meaty piece of music, isn't it? Well, it was a great lead off to that album. It was a massive album, a really long album too. So, um, I think it was about 75, 80 minutes, about 15, 16 tracks on it. Um, but this was the first track and it went into My Wave, which was a, a successful single. Of course, this also the album that produced Black Hole Sun, arguably Soundgarden's best known track. But this one it just encompasses everything that's great about them, the driving rhythm section. Um, Kim Tails guitars and Chris Cornell's outstanding vocals. What a sad loss he was to music a few years ago, Chris Cornell. Um, I love this band and uh, saw them every time they came here. Most recently, I think in about 2014 or 2015. Of course, not all that long before the passing of Chris Cornell. Let Me Drown. Uh, they had some great songs, Soundgarden, but this one, to stand out for me uh, and if you like that and you haven't heard the super unknown album check it out it is a real uh what would you say a sonic journey i would call it and uh, that entire album certainly uh, among my top 20 albums of all time and um if you want to see what the rest of those are check out my video series currently going around on uh, twitter which um i recorded uh close to two years ago now, but uh, getting another around on Twitter and going all right. So check that out. Top 20 albums. Number 11 for both of, both of us. Brick House for Finding by the Commodores. Let Me Drown by Soundgarden for yours truly. All right. More nostalgia coming up shortly on the football front. But first, let's uh, ponder a bit of life advice. Life Hacks, Building a Better World. All right, plenty going on in the world, sporting and otherwise. Uh, I'm going to let you kick this one off this week as well, Fanny. What do you, what do you got for us, Life Hacks-wise? Have you heard of the expression, use it or lose it? Uh, I have indeed. It's true. I mean, I knew it was true, but it really is true, people. Now... I was with sort of time on my hands and a need to start to drop a couple of kilos, get a bit fitter. I got my bike back into working order over the Christmas New Year period. Really nice, nice giant bike nice. That, that I used to ride up to 100 kilometres a day on and, and really get around and ride well. Well, I lived down the bottom of a well-known hilly street in Melbourne I could only get a quarter of the way up that street before I had to dismount and walk the rest of the way. That was a humbling start. But I've been trying now three or four times on that bike and slow incremental improvement. But I tell you what, I should never have given away riding it in the first place because I am very dubious about ever getting to any great heights again. You, you really, I think... I think 12 months sort of hiatus for any physical activity post 50 is hurry curry, mate. Don't do it. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because uh, I'm actually having a renewed burst of physical activity. I've uh, joined a gym. I've joined uh, the Good Life uh, gym chain. Uh, they've got uh, gyms all over Melbourne, actually, and I'm absolutely loving it at the moment uh of course the challenge is to be able to maintain it when the workload gets a bit heavier but um i'm uh i'm losing a bit of weight and i'm certainly getting fitter um in fact i don't know if i should announce it or not but uh i've actually given up i gave up smoking about two months ago finally and i'm feeling so much better for it um yeah so uh there you go i am i uh i took 
your advice on board and I have decided to use it um, so I don't lose it. So um, maybe join a gym and uh, drop a bit of weight, get a bit fitter and then get back on the bike finally. It's worthwhile doing, I'd reckon. Yes. Yeah, it's a good, good idea if time allows. Okay. All right. Well, mine, uh, probably not so positive. Um, uh, as you know, I, I don't mind indulging in a bit of payback and a bit of karma. And uh, <laughs> it, it's not, uh, not necessarily enjoyable in this case, though, because it involves, as so much of our discussion has over the last couple of years, COVID. But you'll remember, as um, the pandemic first gripped us and uh, governments across the country and across the world were grappling with unforeseen circumstances and uh, in desperation, uh, lockdowns were imposed, particularly in Victoria. We ended up having six of them. I'm sure everyone knows how many we had. But I think the effectiveness of those lockdowns uh, was certainly proved along the journey. But uh, it was against a backdrop of continual media bleating and uh, not only bleating from a philosophical point of view, but out of sheer uh, opportunism, trying to capitalise on the scepticism and ignorance and fear out there in the public. And uh, we all know which news organisation dabbles in this the most as a business model. Uh, and we all know the sorts of people that were uh, most guilty of doing this. And I'm talking about the like, and I am going to name names. I'm talking about the likes of Andrew Bolt. Uh, I'm talking about the likes of Chris Kenny. I'm talking about the likes of Jared Henderson. I'm talking about Rowan Dean. Uh, I'm talking about Paul Murray. I'm talking about uh, our former SEN colleague, finally, Rita Panahi. Um, most of them, I would argue, uh, decided to uh, question and, in a lot of cases, ridicule the public health measures taken, um, not out of any conviction as such, as sheer opportunism. And um, that certainly didn't help foster the sense of esprit de corps we needed as a community to pull through this together. In fact, uh, the Herald Sun often was uh, coming up with a preaching a message on its front page, you know, let's all unite together. And then in the same paper, no less, running opinion columns from people like Peter Credlin, hanging you-know-what on the government's attempts to deal with the uh, pandemic. Anyway, the ba basis of their argument was always, you know, we can't shut down the economy. Uh, we have to keep everything open. Well, uh, how does that pan out for them, Finey? Because I think we're seeing now uh, we are open. We're not in lockdown anymore, but um, things are pretty crook. And if you've walked around the streets of Melbourne or the suburbs, you will have seen many empty shop fronts and not many people out there buying things. Why? Because a lot of us are sick. Why? Because supplies have been disrupted by people's sickness. Why? Because there aren't enough people healthy to serve would-be consumers. So it's, just, it's a vicious circle. There are no winners out of a crisis like this, but surely the priority has to be to look after people's health. And you may need a healthy economy, but you're not going to have one if you don't have healthy people to help operate that economy. What I find most galling about this is that, yeah, okay, we're learning on the run here. But these people, having pushed this very irresponsible line, just promptly when it's the narrative starts working against them, just disappear from view and sort of drop out of sight for a couple of months and then come back hoping that everyone's forgotten. Well, I'm telling you, those people that I named, and there's plenty more where they came from, a lot of us aren't going to forget your treacherous behaviour over what has been a really, really difficult period for the entire, uh, not only Victorian, but Australian community. You won't be forgotten for what you did and you can slink back under your rocks and come back whenever you like. We won't forget. That is a good serve. A really good serve, Robin. That's half rant, half life hack, but I enjoyed it. It was off the top too. I didn't script it. Um, See, all right. Well. Yes. Okay. All right. There is life hacks for this week. Uh, time now for a bit more nostalgia. <laughs> Fantastic footy flashbacks.
Ah, yes, it's that time of the week again. And uh, in keeping with the rest of this show, Finey, I'm going to let you have the first fantastic footy flashback this week. What do you got for us? Well, a really interesting game. It was the last game, home and away game, of the 1985 season. St Kilda hosting Footscray. Now, it had been a lamentable season for the Saints. Now, can I just pull you up there very quickly? uh, And I just want to show off a bit here, but... I remember this well. I remember how lamentable a season it was. In fact, I would venture that prior to this final game, your Saints had won just two games to the season. And I, in fact, covered both those games and both those victories came against Fitzroy. One on Anzac Day out at Waverley and the other one at a very sparsely populated Victoria Park in about July. Correct? You are correct, sir. Okay, go on. That that meant that St Kilda, heading into this final game of the season, had for the first time since moving to Moorabbin in 1965, not won a game on their home beloved patch of dirt and mud they called Linton Street. So in a sense, much to play for, but their opponents were having a very different season. They had won 11 of their last 12 games, only losing to your Bombers in that run. And we're putting together a magnificent season, safely ensconced in the top three. They were looking to head into the finals and maintain their winning form. Who, who is they? Footscray. Oh, under the coaching of Mick Malthouse. Yep, with Brad Hardy having a, a season like no other. And they obviously went into this final game at Moorabbin against the hapless Saints, red-hot favourites. But you know what? There's something about playing St Kilda at Moorabbin. Things often don't go as planned, regularly not for St Kilda. Sit back and have a listen to the highlights of the final quarter in a very unusual game. For the champion number one, he kicks a, a centering ball, Manning at uh, the fall of the ball, spins out of trouble, left foot kick, long and strong to full forward, mark drop by Kennedy, now there's a whistle, there's a whistle, oh, it's a St Kilda free kick, it's a St Kilda free kick to lock it, Kennedy's obviously interfered with him in the marking contest, not and that obvious please, young Tony Lockett will go back and line up for his fourth goal, and to once more trim the deficit, they're just nine points. We're 14 and a half minutes into the final turn. Fourth out of eight points of the pixel. That's how important he is to this team. And he's been very, very good again today, this teenager. He'll turn 20 a couple of weeks before the start of next season. Tony Lockett, directly in front. And he's got it. He's got his fourth. And he's got the Saints eighth. And Smokey Dawson, if you're listening, we've got our favourite score. 8-8-56. Brother. To 8 17 65, Footscray by 9 points, 15 minutes into the final turn. Roberts, the left foot, doesn't find the target, it's deep. The man he was after was Manning, he's pushed down low, but Lockett powerfully rose. Picked up by Fashini! Misses what he could have got, Bruce. A point to the Saints, it gives them a three point buffer. We're 22 minutes into the final quarter of a very unexpected tight game on Arabi. And a very unexpected, entertaining game. The Bulldogs uh, in control for the bulk of the afternoon, but they find themselves behind deep into the final turn. Michael Ford with the kick in Buckley! In front, he's competed all day. He's finally held onto a mark. Now, is he within range? He has an awkward, yet sometimes effective left foot kicking technique, and he's in a decent part of the turf, with St Kilda leading by three points. Airmailer, put it up with the breeze and see what happens. Mark Buckley, the former blue, short approach, gathers momentum, high drop punt, he's done what you asked, Tiny. It's long, it's strong, it's through! And St Kilda lead by nine points! They're jumping around on the terraces. The grandstand is rocking. St Kilda with six goals to one. Lead the fancy Bulldogs 11-9-75 to 8-18-66. And this place is absolutely rocking. Well, that was exciting stuff. Uh, A great comeback. I think the Doggies were close to five goals up at three-quarter time. Mown down in the finish by the uh, the fast-finishing 
Saints, but uh, unusual in several respects, Fanny. Uh, correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, but uh, I was trying to work out the commentary team there. I thought that's not your usual. It's not uh, Lou and Pete. Uh, it's not the ABC. Who am I listening to then? And then I, I sussed out uh, the first caller I, I was pretty familiar with. It was the dulcet tones of Bruce Eva, uh, a fellow uh, St Kilda tragic of yours and a great uh, a great colleague of both of ours for a long, long time. I've heard Beaver call enough footy to know that was him. And then I thought, who is that calling with him? And then they're just a couple of giveaway, uh, what would you say, vocal gymnastics, let's say. <laughs> and uh, I worked out the identity of the co-commentator and it was none other than Mark Fine. So explain yourself, please. What the hell is going on here? Well, St Kilda Football Club have, in recent times, found five, at the moment, videos and what you would call um, sort of uh, without any audio feed from the commentary booth, full games of football featuring St Kilda with crowd noises only. So the games required commentary and given that it was St Kilda, they uh, sounded out Beaver and myself, and we're more than happy to do it. So the first one's gone online on YouTube. You just need to type in St Kilda Footscray 1985, and you can watch the entire game. It's we, we have a bit of fun with the commentary. We take it fairly seriously, but there's a little bit of um, Nostradamus-like predictions for some of the players, let's just say. <laughs> Uh, nice. Uh, uh, interesting to hear Mark Buckley, former Carlton player, bob up with a, a key role in the finish too. Uh, one of oh, the, that, that's what made it most unusual. One of the uh, legion of former Carlton players to uh, end up at St Kilda over that period. No, very entertaining stuff, Finally, Perhaps there's a, uh, another career ahead of you on the commentary front. Um Certainly not a heap of talent to beat those days in your quest for that gig, should you seek to pursue it. <laughs> All right. Uh, my flashback this week. Uh, I don't know why I thought of this one, but it just popped into my head. So uh, I thought, let's dig it up. And uh, plenty of footage, fortunately. We are going back to round 17, 2001. Uh, Carlton, a pretty good team, the Blues, uh, in these days. Not going quite as well as 2000 when they won 13 games straight and were a serious flag contender, but uh, still going okay under Wayne Britton as coach. But Hawthorne, after a fair period in the wilderness, the Hawks having a great season under the coaching of Peter Schwab and uh, right up uh, jousting for a top four spot with the Blues. As a matter of fact, uh, this was a Sunday game at the MCG, round 17, Hawthorne-Carlton, and drama even before the game started when Peter Schwab was unable to take his place in the Hawthorne coaching box after a uh, scary heart episode on the or overnight and on the Sunday morning. So he was replaced for the day as senior coach by Hawthorne assistant coach Chris Connolly and it proved, uh, no relation by the way, proved a uh, valuable audition for the former Melbourne player in a coaching regard. But we also saw an incredibly exciting game and a particularly dramatic finish to that game. Let's have a listen. Well, they've just got to keep it in, don't they? Uh, Fletcher to Beaumont. Beaumont as he coughed it up. It's oh. gone back towards oh. the middle. He has Nathan Thompson. Kicks it across the half-forward line. Oh. It's not really the kick that he was looking for. Barlow took his eye off the ball. McKay's got him. Oh. It spills to the back of the pack. Jimmy Plunkett goes for the safety of the boundary line. Oh. He's kicked it out on the fall. And quickly onto the ball is Clark. Clark plays on. Lobs it in the air to Hawthorne. Mark! Barlow. Barlow can kick a goal and put the Hawks in front by two points. He was their hero last week. He booted five. Can he do it again with this kick? Now, normal percentages, I think, would be 15, yes, 85, no, from that angle. He's going for goal. He'll kick the distance, and he'll kick it behind. Now, the Blues have got possession of the ball. <laughs> Three points to margin. 
One minute left. <laughs> Robbo, can I hand the votes to you, please? No, it's a difficult <laughs> one because there's been some very good oh. contributors from both sides. Let's watch this. Bradley, the old master here. He'll go back, won't he? Yeah, he has to now. Steady it down. He's got Manton there if he wants to. He's got Rice. Right across to Rice. And he'll use Rice. And he's got Hectares. Go to Mansfield. Yeah, another bounce here. Yeah, he'll go towards the line. And Malcolm... Um, oh, it's not a good tip. Bounces clean through him. But it's a, a throw-in that has been forced. And the clock has ticked down to 40 seconds. That is a very bad kick in the context was, of the game. Yeah, because wasn't. if they keep possession, they waste another 15 to 20 seconds. Carlton by three points. Graham tried to pluck it out of the air. Ratton had him locked up, as only Ratton can. Hotton tried well, to get got it. it. Stolen. Here goes Thompson. This is the last roll of the dice. They need a mark. They need something spectacular. They don't get it. It's smashed down towards McKay. He steadies with a hand pass to Mansfield. Another one to plug it. That was at oh. Doering. He gets claimed. It was Doering. Can't believe. Chick. You cannot believe that that young fella lost the plot there. Chick plays on. Seconds only remaining. They've got to take a mark. Yeah! Dixon has taken a mark with five seconds remaining. The siren will go. Oh, dear. What a climax to round 17. Surge has gone mad. The floor manager, we understand, has leapt from the top of the MCG stand. <laughs> but let's go back to Ben Dixon. He booted 43 goals last year. He kicked five last week. He's got three today. Gee. Wayne Britton can do nothing as he makes his way down to the ground. What a moment in your football career, oh. in your life. This to win the game. What a spectacular comeback this would be too because Carlton did look to be cruising. They did. Dixon. Oh, with oh eight dear. or nine Carlton players all oh. around him on the mark. They look doing a war dance. This is crazy, he says. He shoots for goal. He kicks the goal, and Hawthorne wins the game. Unbelievable scenes here at the MCG. Ben Dixon is the hero. Oh, and Chris Connolly, welcome to the coach's box. And Schwabby, we hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it was an amazing finish of the game and obviously Ben Dixon kicking the goal after the siren well he sort of, I'm not saying he dined out on it ever since but he got positions at AFL clubs as kicking coach, look he was a very good kick, don't get me wrong but I would say that that goal particularly helped his cause I was sort of fascinated by the number of lesser lights involved in those last key pieces of play and then Unfortunately, not a great moment for is it Justin During for Carlton? Jordan Jordan During. Yeah, and uh, all, my, all my remembering that player. Yeah, well, I was going to bring that up because, of course, he took the ball and surged out of defence along the boundary for the Blues, and all he had to do basically was kick it, and the game was over. But he just took a couple of steps too far and got nailed in a terrific tackle by uh, the Hawks' Daniel Chick. The ball's turned over, and uh, from the resultant kick, um, Dixon took the mark, which enabled him to win the game. So, yeah, not a happy memory for Jordan During Number 46 for the Blues from memory. Uh, ben Dixon actually kicked four goals that day, finding that was the last of them. Aaron Lord kicked four for the Hawks, and uh, leading goal kicker for the Blues with four goals. Any ideas? Um, no, silly question because you could keep guessing for a long time and not get it. Leading goal kicker, and we hadn't seen him uh, in this sort of role for a fair while. None other than Stephen Silvani with oh, four goals. Go. Yep. So, uh, plying his trade at the other end of the field. I covered this game, it was super exciting, and uh, they were an exciting team in 2001. The Hawks, uh, pretty. Good viewing they were, of course, in the end, getting to the preliminary final, uh, defeated only narrowly by the Bombers. And, um, well, the Hawks had go down again, but, uh, of course, high times ahead for them uh, after Alistair Clarkson arrived as coach. That just about wraps it up for this week. Finally, uh, finishing on the nostalgia front. Um Stay well, everyone. Uh, these are challenging times for all of us, but uh, 
just uh, be careful of your own health and other people's health. Be considerate. Make sure you're doing all the right things health-wise and be a bit circumspect, perhaps, about uh, the degree uh, with which you are mixing with the public at large. Uh, well, for the next little while anyway. And of course, if you are eligible now for your COVID booster shot, go out and get it. Do not hesitate. Uh, any final words from you, Finey? Here, here on all those scores. I got my booster shot on Saturday morning and feel a little bit more protected and certainly maybe not against catching COVID, but against the more extreme effects of COVID. As I said, my mother at 93 with that booster shot in her armoury was able to fight it off pretty well. So that's good enough evidence for me, mate. All right. Nice work. Thanks for your company. Hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you uh, support us if you can at the either the ACAS supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or become an official Footyology patron at Patreon. And there's links to our Patreon page all over the Footyology website. Plenty of good reading on Footyology, even in the off-season. Uh, and we've got Gil Griffin's AFLW content happening now, previews, reviews. Ronnie Lerner, Footyology's own Ronnie Lerner, will be popping up again with our Tale of a Tape series, having a look at the prospects uh, on the men's front for each club this year. That will be starting very shortly. So look out for that. Plenty of good stuff on Footyology and uh, plenty of good stuff in our podcast team. We'll be back with another one next week. See you then.